This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hi, this is Dr. Ali Khan, the Dean of the College of Public Health at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. Here at the college, we're busy keeping Nebraska and the world safe from Ebola, other public health threats, including zombies and vampires. Now, you're about to listen to the two-headed nerd with Joe and Matt, but let me assure you, they have no idea what they're talking about. Sort of break it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's my pleasure to welcome you to episode 185 of THN. We're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, November 5th. This is another landmark episode. 185 collectors edition. That's not a landmark. Incredible. That means nothing. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Baumstein. And when I'm not upsetting listeners by editing their damn calls, I am writing the Comic Speculator blog for WordPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick. That's at Joe Patrick 116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not falling in love with every comic book TV show they can throw at me, I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Look, it's okay to like things. He's got a big heart. He can't help it. In this week's episode, a Dangerously hear- Enlarged Heart. <laughs> You'll hear our review, our anthropomorphic reviews of The Humans, number one, and Tooth and Claw, number one. After that, we're going to review ten more of this week's new comics. Faster than Republican-controlled Senate can greenlight a giant robot to kill the monster that is Obamacare during the ludicrous speed round. Then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. We're having some cocktails with some of our favorite talking animals and discussing a couple of next week's comics. And finally, we're playing Ask a Nerd. Where? We're going to answer one lucky listener's burning question, and Ask a Nerd just got a whole lot more heady. You guys are going to love it. So, stop screaming about the new Star Wars movie title for just about 60 minutes, and then we can talk about this week's Big News! This Tuesday, Marvel Comics announced that they would be crossing over with the hit manga series Attack on Titan. This blows my mind. The event will hit (laughs) next week! How did this happen? I don't know. In the pages of Brutus, a Japanese pop culture magazine hitting stands on November 15th. Debuting in 2009, the post-apocalyptic fantasy is set in a world where remorseless flesh-eating giants have all but wiped out humanity, whose remnants are forced to live within a country surrounded by three enormous walls. The story initially centers on Aaron Yeager, who, after watching his mother be devoured by a titan, dedicates himself to destroying the creatures. However... It's later revealed that Aaron possesses the ability to transform into a Titan himself. According to comic book resources, the crossover series was pitched as a what if the Titans from Hajime Isayama's Attack on Titan attacked the Marvel Universe. The comics will feature the Avengers fighting the 46 foot tall female Titan on the streets of New York City. Matt, I'm allergic to anime and manga like you are allergic to steampunk. Does this sound fun to you? I mean, I guess, and I felt a little better about it when I found out that this was just occurring in this Japanese (laughs) magazine. How is it only announced (laughs) a week before it hits? It's Japan. It's a wacky place. They probably drew it last week. I don't know. They're crazy how the amount, like, (laughs) their comics come out monthly and they're like 270 pages. It's nuts. They're maniacs. I watched Attack on Titan. I really enjoyed it. It's very good. And I would highly recommend it for people who don't normally watch manga i am curious Pardon about me, it for sure. watch anime like you yeah, i yeah. think you might dig it i think this is an interesting idea 
I suppose. Will we ever even see it? Probably. I don't know. I bet they reprint it or something and for American audiences yeah. just because it made a news story, if nothing else. You know, like this got some pub some publicity in the States. So it wouldn't surprise me if we saw it. I don't have a problem with a crossover like this. Is it weird as hell? Yes. But you know what? Japan's a weird place, baby. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, it won't mean anything. No. Obviously, there are not giant titans eating people in the main Marvel universe. No, not yet. Oh, well, uh, not really. <laughs> not like this, anyway. We talk about it all the time, you know, kind of what if, one off, what if, alternate reality, throw to the wall, see what happens kind of stories yeah. are fun. And this isn't much different than the anime versions they did of like Wolverine and Iron Man not too long ago. And those were fun. I mean, it didn't yeah. fundamentally change anything. They were kind of weird, but they were cool looking. You Italian Spider-Man. Yeah. Do you, you ever know. see Italian Spider-Man? No. It's awesome. <laughs> it's a me, Spider-Man. Italian <laughs> Spider-Man. He's was... fat. He looks like Ron Jeremy. <laughs> he tells people to make him macchiatos. And he flies. Moving on to some sad news from this week. Writer, artist Jeremy Dale passed away Monday due to a sudden illness at the age of 34. Way too young. That's like 10 or 20 years younger than you. It's true. Dale created the popular all-ages comic Skyward for Action Lab. We reviewed it. And we both liked it a lot. And was a proponent of easy access to comics for all readers. By all accounts, Dale was a friendly and gracious presence in the industry, and the outpouring of support following his passing proves it. A GoFundMe campaign set up to aid Dale's widow has raised over $13,000 in just two days. That's great. It's always a shame when we lose someone in this industry. It's worse when it happens without warning. We'll link to the fundraiser in our show notes. Guys, girls, if you're able, click the link, throw some cash at him. It's for a good cause. Too bad to see somebody go this young. It really is. And it was very sudden from everything I've read. Obviously, we won't ever know full details, but it's a shame. It was unexpected. And the family could use some help. If you're in a position to do so, click the link. That's what nerds do. We act like you're heroes. Finally, some called it the DC Band-Aid. Some referred to it as Blood Moon. <laughs> but now we finally have the details or some of them anyway, about the event that DC will publish next year while they relocate from New York to Burbank. The event, called Convergence, will launch on April 1st, 2015. Convergence will run for nine weeks. 40 two-part minis. Is that all? Will run in April and May, spotlighting worlds, storylines, and characters from throughout the entire history of the DC Universe alongside a weekly eight-issue main miniseries. During the event, the new 52 titles will go on a two-month hiatus. The story begins with Convergence number zero on April 1st, written by Jeff King, who is head writer of the USA show White Collar. The cutest gay guy on TV is on that show. Oh, yeah. He is hot. Yeah, he is. Damn. And Dan Jurgens, not bad-looking himself. Yeah, good-looking guy. And it will be drawn by Ethan Van Skyver. It'll come out the same day. Not a pretty man. <laughs> <laughs> the same day that Earth 2, World's End, and Future's End come to a close. I'm just kidding, Ethan. You're just kind of goofy looking. You're not ugly. <laughs> Brainiac, as seen recently in Future's End, has been taking cities in bottles, like he does. But this time, he's taking them from timelines and planets that are dying. Not just from one universe, but the multiverse. We're talking pre-New 52 Charlton Universe, Superman, Thundercats. Super oh, I hope so. I hope so. The bottle cities from throughout the multiverse will be brought together on one world, the Blood Moon, 
outside of time and space, all opened and observed. Been missing the classic interpretation of the JSA, complete with Jade and Obsidian? Convergence! Wondering where Donna Troy has been in the New 52? Convergence! DC 1 million? Convergence, Aquam I say! Aquaman's hook hand? Convergence! DC co-publisher. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. Jim Lee said that all the stories that have come before exist within the framework of the New 52 and said, quote, in many ways, Convergence is the most meta epic we've ever done, end quote. Wait a minute. Isn't there a huge meta epic going on right now penned by Grant Morrison? This is huger. It's more meta than that? It's huger and more meta. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Carlo Pagulian and Steven Segovia will handle the art on the main series with Dan Jurgens and Scott Lobdell helping Jeff King guide the event. Matt. The pre-New 52 universe, all these alternate timelines, talk me down, man. This can't possibly be good, can it? This seems like an excellent way to make anyone who's thinking about getting into the DC universe run away screaming. <laughs> I mean, Jesus, as a guy that's read DC comics for I don't even know how f***ing long, I look at this and I just shake my head. This makes me sweat. <laughs> you know, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, and if you want to say that this is the band aid thing, and it's just for the couple months while they move, and we're just doing something super wacky, whatever. But in hell, this is confusing. What do we do with this? I don't think it's confusing. I think I it's mean, confusing as hell. With the message you're sending here, we're like, nope, the new fifty two is where it's at. We're not going back, except for you know the story where oh, here's everything. <laughs> you yeah. know. Uh, do you remember, this was years ago, do you remember when they did the sequel to Kingdom Come called The Kingdom? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and Grant Morrison and Mark Wade and uh, maybe a couple other guys were involved, came up with this idea called Hypertime. Yes. Where every story that ever occurred at DC Comics- It was all real. It existed somewhere, some way. That it's just a fun wink, wink. To led to us running around the comic shop going, Hypertime. Yeah, right. <laughs> like pointing at comics going, Hypertime. But the thing <laughs> is, is that fans f***ing hated the yes. idea of Hypertime. Yeah, it was a joke. This, we all laughed at it. Oh, I loved it because I'm a DC fanatic. Oh, and so, it, like, I. And I was never expecting them to say, guess what? Sugar and Spike are showing up in the next Green right, Arrow. Like Millie the Model. <laughs> That's like Marvel. That's Marvel. Oh, pardon me. So I loved just to say, yeah, man, it all counts. They're all imaginary stories. Alan Moore did it in Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow, where it's he true. turns at the camera and winks. They're all imaginary stories, aren't they? It's in the forward. Right. And it was just a fun acknowledgement of the history. This is f***ing hyper time. This, this is, is the same thing. Yeah. And man... I just, I this does not seem like a good idea. I, you know, <laughs> will it be fun to read? <laughs> Maybe, but man, <laughs> it's just, here's where they're kind of hooking me. It sounds overwhelming. And I have talked with people about how hard it will be to order and process and how to decide like who's going to want what books, but 40 bite-sized little two-part stories about like alternate worlds. Like that sounds fun to me. It sounds fun, but it's also like, can you do that in two issues? Can you like sum up what's going on or is it just going to be here's two issues of info dump? Well, you'll have the main series well, that, that happened. You'll you know? have the main convergence series, which is the actual plot of the convergence. Jesus. But all right. So let's shift gears real quick and talk about how convergence sounds exactly like Marvel Civil War. Like there's certainly an to the letter. Yeah. 
Civil Secret War or whatever. Secret Civil War. It's, it's <laughs> Secret Wars. Uh, Marvel put out a video this week. They, they've been doing those teasers, right? With the um, revisiting, revisiting the past events, the Civil War and the right. Planet Hulk and all that. Uh, this week, they put out a video where all of those little event posters came together and formed Battle World, like Battle World from the original Secret Wars. Some might call it a Blood Moon. Blood World and Battle Moon. Blood World <laughs> and Battle Moon. <laughs> These events are practically identical. Yeah. Even Convergence sounds like Incursion. And it only it's just like Brainiac is the Beyonder, basically. <sighs> not that the Beyonder is going to show up in this other event, but if we keep calling it Secret War, it's really hard not to, you know. And not to expect the Beyonder. Yeah. It's just baffling to me how, like, is this, like you said earlier, is this a Dante's Peak volcano situation? Right, deep impact in Armageddon. Or, or is somebody going to get sued? Is this a Jaws <laughs> and foam the dolphin with rabies? I don't know. We don't know what we're getting. But DC's been planning this for a long time, too. That's true. These seeds have been popping up for a long it's true. time. And it's not like these It's not like these are themes that have never been visited on either company. They've done similar things before. Right. You know? So... But the timing is extremely suspect. <laughs> you know? So I'm just, I know, I know your response to this, but we're just going to put it out there in the world because it's fun to think about. Our friend Aura hit us with like the most insane theory of all time. And that is that the similarity of these two events is not an accident. And this is all just a secret way to have a marvel dc crossover this kind of stealth crossover somehow i don't know there is no way i kind of i agree with <laughs> you not i agree with a you. reality where that happened but i i i have to admit that when i read his post i was like oh man that would be cool <laughs> it'd be a good way for marvel to have like a challenge to the unknown murder of the fantastic four or something <laughs> like oh i guess they're gone <laughs> you don't have to worry about that anymore the x-men were wiped out by the teen titans <laughs> you know <laughs> now here's your here's your x inhumans book Go. oh jeez. Oh, <laughs> uh, so convergence it's coming next year uh, they have not announced any of the creative teams or the content of the miniseries so we'll keep a watch on that Hopefully it's not a train wreck. Jesus, my head is spinning. It's... I'm dizzy. I might throw up. Brace yourselves. <laughs> that is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything else and everything else you think we missed, hit us up on the THN forums where Joe and I have posted videos of us doing our best Attack on Titan impersonations naked and devouring our entire Marvel action figure collection. Gross. Super gross. Every Sunday, my favorite nude man-eating giant, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week in the THN forums. Joey, what are we asking the listeners this week? This week's question comes courtesy of new forum member. Yeah, that's right. First time, long time. Mystery man, first time, long time. AKA Lady Lake, Florida. <laughs> Who writes? Redcons, reboots, and reimaginings tend to be widely frowned upon. I feel like I should be doing it in some kind of accent, but maybe I, I can't pull that you off. You should do it really fast, too, so we can barely understand you. No. <laughs> but is there a retcon, reboot, or reimagining that you actually like more than the previous version? Oh, I'm going to have to think about this And one. why? Really going to have to think I about I know one. mine right now. Oh, I don't. I've got a few, but... You have until 5 o'clock this coming Friday, November 14th, to get us your answer. You can call... And leave a message using Skype. The Skype panel is two-headed nerd, all one word. You can call the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. Or 
Or you can send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Keep your answer under three minutes and restrain yourself. Keep it to one. I don't want to hear your top five. I want to hear your favorite. One answer. Under three minutes. You know who I'm talking to. As Matt has proven just this week, he will dice your call to pieces. This is my only dominion and I am a cruel and vengeful god. (laughs) (laughs) But hey, if you need more time than that, you can feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN web forums. It's review time on THN, where Joe and I pretend not to be attracted to the sexy, sexy talking animals starring in the comics we chose to review. Joey, you're a sick pervert. What did you pick to review this week? This week, I reviewed Tooth and Claw, number one, from Image Comics, written by Kurt Busiek with art by Ben Dewey and colors by Jordi Belair, lettering by John Rochelle and Jimmy Betancourt of Comic Craft. Calling out the letterer. I'll get to it. You're a nerd. This is f- <laughs> this is 48 pages for only $2.99. Nobody likes letterers. Everybody knows that. They're dorks. Yeah. <laughs> what fate will befall a world fueled by magic when magic starts to fade? To prevent the end of life as they know it, a secret conclave of wizards brings a legendary champion back through time with disastrous consequences. This is the first creator-owned project to pop up from Kurt Busiek in a number of years, while Astro City is back and growing strong, this reminded me a little of another series he did with Carlos Pacheco called Aerosmith. I loved Aerosmith. Yes. that Nothing to do with Steven Tyler. No. <laughs> that world was one closer to ours, but where magic led the charge during the Industrial Revolution. In Tooth and Claw, magic has begun fading from the world, a bad scene when everything revolves around it. And to prevent the loss of magic and the destruction of their way of life, a warthog wizard named Garta assembles a secret cabal of like-minded sorcerers to do the impossible, summon the legendary great champion from the past to restore the future. One issue in, and this world is already fully realized. Not that there aren't secrets left to discover, but Busiek masterfully tells you everything you need to know to get invested in this place and these gentle beings. And while there is a lot of made-up jargon and flowery names tossed around left and right, it never feels forced. A high-concept book like this could easily get bogged down in mythology, but Tooth and Claw, number one, never does. The art by Ben Dewey and Jordi Belair is stunning. Dewey anthropomorphizes the characters in a way that feels believable, rather than just drawing animal heads on humanoid bodies. Each character looks different depending on the animal they're based on, with body structures that seem true to their species. He's able to develop so much character and emotion into the faces of these beings that you're able to tell what they're going through, even though they look inhuman. And it's not just his figure drawing that's impressive either. His depiction of the floating city of Kanil and the world it inhabits is breathtaking. The art would look amazing in black and white, but if you're telling a story about a magical world, the right colorist would add so much. And Jordi Belair was the perfect choice to breathe vibrant life into this book. The colors are soft and look almost hand-painted. Even the lettering by Rochelle and Betancourt contributes to the look of the series. It's got hand-drawn sound effects and unique word balloons that fill every page. Look, everyone knows that I hate fantasy. That's in quotes. But I loved this. Busiek is a master world builder, and this is a wonderful world that I'd like to spend more time in. And you can't deny these beautiful visuals this is a huge buy it for me. Yeah, I agree. This could have been so dense and just impossible to fall into. But this 
Somebody else wrote it. I'm not going to take credit for it, but this felt like a Jim Henson sort of totally. dark crystal to me. I didn't even think of that, where but yes. you just kind of fall into the world and here you go. And you're fine with it. And every time we meet something else or someone else in another experience, you're learning about the world and it's interesting. It's not just like the character walking around with huge narration boxes like, these are the turtle people and the turtle people are known for whatever. You know, like there's a guy, he's a turtle, he talks, go, you know? Right. And it, it was great. The art was beautiful. The story was really interesting. Calling my shot, champion, is a human being. Uh, that's exactly what I thought. It's a human being, right? Absolutely, right. It's got to be. We don't see it in this book. Huge buy it from me, too. Matt, what did you review this week? I also read a book about talking animals. They just happen to be monkeys. This one was called The Humans, number one, from Image, written by Keenan Marshall Keller, with art by Tom Neely. 32 pages here, two ninety nine. It's another steal, folks. America loves biker gangs, me included. I'm in like three of them. There's a reason that Sons of Anarchy has lasted seven seasons and every orthodontist and contractor drops a chunk of change on a Harley and a leather vest so they can feel dangerous, even if it's just unload their hog from the trailer and ride into Sturgis for the weekend. There is a mythology behind the Hells Angels of the 60s and 70s that kicked hippies' heads in while chugging beer, smoking weed, and popping pills. And writer Keenan Keller captures said mythology here perfectly, but with the feel of an old Zap or fabulous furry Freak Brothers comic from the San Francisco underground comic scene of the late 60s and 70s. Only Keller's bikers aren't humans. That's just their gang's name. They are, in fact, apes. Full on Planet of the Apes talking primates that ride motorcycles, have sex with sluts, take massive amount of drugs, and of course, get in gang fights. Tom Neely's very 70s underground art style takes this comic back in time and gives it a very personal feel that you just don't get in modern comics anymore. Every word balloon and narration box is hand-lettered, and his style, it's very deceptively simple, but he does an amazing job of making each character recognizable and different. Keller, the writer, embraces all the stereotypical biker gang themes and like the sexually charged, drug-filled underground comics he obviously loves, nothing is out of bounds. One of the gang members has a mentally handicapped sibling that keeps exposing himself. The ladies are fast and loose. The men are misogynistic and violent. And there's just no shortage of full frontal ape nudity and sex acts. I didn't know what to think of this after my first read. Joe had told me that Legend received a black and white copy that was different and didn't include more of the explicit scenes. And honestly, it wasn't until I read that version that I realized what the creative team was really going for here. I fell in love with this comic after the second read. Now that black and white thing, I have come to find out it was a self published zero issue. Oh, okay. So it's not something that, you know, diamond didn't carry it. Right. Uh, It had ads for the image series in it, but it was a self published thing that they put out beforehand probably to pitch it to image or something probably pick it up at a convention or something this is certainly not a comic book for most readers but if you're looking for a well-executed alternative that harkens back to a time when comics dared you to read them you cannot go wrong with the humans i'm giving this a huge qualified bias (laughs) a qualified bias yes in other words a skimming (laughs) I liked this book. Like, I, I, I think I liked it. I think I liked it. The monkey dicks bothered you. No, no. I just, 
No, I love monkey dicks. <laughs> oh, I finished it. I read the zero issue a while back and then I read the number one. I guess I, I missed out on the fact that the preview that we received from image was labeled number zero. And so when I saw that it was different and in color, I was surprised. Uh, and so I was happy to have more of it, but it's, it's strange. And I feel like there's not even really a story here. There's, yeah, this is the depiction of uh, an event in the lives of these people, but there's no real plot. I don't know. Uh, I will say that I love it's very cinematic. Oh, yeah. In the way it's presented. And it it does feel like one of those 70s kind of grindhousey uh, movies. You know, the opening especially is widescreen where it would be like panel and then title card and right. then panel and then more title cards. And I enjoyed the act of reading it, but I don't know if I actually liked what I read. Okay. So I'm giving it a skim it. I'm super interested in it and I'm going to keep reading it. I just, the best way I can describe it is that I don't understand my own feelings. I agree <laughs> that it it is a bit of a novelty in the same way that maybe like teen dog was a bit of a novelty. Sure. You know right. What I mean, but I, I think there's a place for that. I, oh, I, think I totally that agree. And it's just the only reason that this is getting a skim it from me instead of a buy it like you did, gave it uh, or like I gave Teen Dog is that it just didn't hit me. Maybe I wasn't in that frame of mind. I don't know. Sure. But it's really well done. The craft is impressive. The yeah. art is great. I honestly couldn't tell you if I liked it or disliked it. Okay. I certainly didn't hate it. All right. So it's a strong skim it for me, because I, I think it's definitely worth checking out. All right. So that is a buy it and a skim it for the humans number one, and a double buy it for tooth and claw number one. Of course, we want to know what you violent drug abusing apes and magical English bulldogs thought of these comics. So lift your leg and sprinkle your opinions on us over at the THN forums, which you can find by clicking the forum button at twittednerd.com. Gross. As I'm sure you've heard, the Republican Party won handily over their Democratic counterparts this past Tuesday, mainly by running candidates that could actually win and not Tea Party lunatics. But now that they control the Senate, Joe and I have received info from our Washington insiders that details plans to build a giant flaming sword wielding robot fueled by the Keystone Pipeline to slay the hulking abomination that is Obamacare. So join Joe, myself, and all the other slacker Dems that forgot to vote last Tuesday as we form a human chain around the wounded beast that is our healthcare system and review 10 more of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Hey, I voted. I did too. <laughs> Ludicrous Speed! Go! Amazing Spider-Man number nine from Marvel. Spider-Verse starts in earnest in this issue and it takes a turn for the dark. Spider-Men are dropping like flies as Morlun tears his way through the multiverse and our Peter is finally brought up to speed by a group of alternate reality hymns. This is maybe a little more intense than Spider-Man normally is, but I am loving Spider-Verse so far. And with art by Olivier Coipel, this is a must read for me. Buy it. John Carter, Warlord of Mars, number one from Dynamite. One of my favorite Green Lantern writers, Ron Mars, takes over John Carter for this new series along with artist Abhishek Malsuni, who obviously studied at the J. Scott Campbell School of Comic Booking. Mars spends most of the issue gently reintroducing characters in the world of Barsoom as told by a scantily clad Dejah Thoris 
poisoned by a bug with truth-telling venom. There was just too much poorly executed setup here and very little stakes for John Carter, who seems to cut through the new alien invading menace with ease. Not to mention a last page that really didn't do anything for me. Pretty art, though, giving it a skimmit. The Ghost Fleet, number one from Dark Horse. Buzzkill writer Donnie Cates teams up with artist Dan Johnson for this tale about combat-trained truckers hauling forbidden cargo across the country. I'm not sure what I was expecting when I picked this up. (laughs) But it wasn't this. It's awesome, though. Great story, great art. I loved it, and I can't wait for more. It's like Convoy meets Roadhouse. (laughs) (laughs) Meets uh, Constantine. Okay, and the transporter. Buy it. American Legends number one from Image slash Top Cow. This is a five-issue miniseries coming out weekly all November, featuring Davy Crockett, his buddy Mike Fink, and someone named Sally Thunder, who may have a horse named Thunder, and who may or may not have superhuman abilities, and have decided to save Lewis and Clark from a conspiracy launched by Napoleon. Whoa. Seriously. The only problem here was the story moved so fast at times that I thought I was missing panels and other times entire goddamn pages. This was almost impossible to follow, and the extremely dark computer-colored art didn't help anything. It's confusing at best and left me asking out loud, so Davy Crockett has superhuman strength? Leave it. One of the most poorly executed comics I've ever read. It was terrible. Dang. Over the Garden Wall special number one from Kaboom! I guess this is based on a show that's been airing on the Cartoon Network this week, but I'd never heard of it before seeing this on the stands. This was a super quirky story about a guy, his little brother, and a bossy talking bird getting sidetracked from their journey by a crew of misfits sailing through tall grass in a hat. Yeah. It's got this kind of old-timey, wind-in-the-willows-esque, kind of overblown fable style. Okay. If you kind of catch my meaning. Sure. But it's also done in a fun, self-aware way, so they know what they're doing. I liked it. It got me interested in checking out the cartoon, which I heard is pretty great. All right. I'm giving it a buy it. I liked the comic, even though I had never seen the cartoon. Death of Wolverine, Weapon X Project, number one from Marvel. We get the story of the test subjects that will be freed in the last issue of Death of Wolverine. Each has some special abilities, and surprisingly, they don't all seem to be tied to Wolvie. But do they all have healing factors now? Well, we don't really know yet. Ah. Writer Charles Soule does a great job of keeping the action moving with a palpable feel of desperation as a group is trying to escape. And I'm not sure what to make of the final page, but it's going to make me read the next issue. Buy it. Penny, Dora, and the Wishing Box, number one from Image. I thought this was no jokes. Dora the Explorer. Okay, no. <laughs> Michael Stock and Cena Grace deliver a solid all-ages fantasy story about a young girl that gets a mysterious wish-granting gift on the day before Christmas. This was really great. It had lovely art by Cena Grace. It's a little slight plot-wise in this issue, but it's a fun premise, perfect for kids, especially young girls. In fact, Penny Dora was created by the writer's eight-year-old daughter. Is the gift a purple talking monkey named Boots? No, it's a box that grants wishes. Oh, okay. Buy it! Not Dora the Explorer, that's what you're saying. No. Got it. There's nobody named Diego. Got it. They do not speak Spanish. Good. Go, go, Diego. Right. Terrible Lizard number one from Oni. I know a surprising amount about Dora the Explorer. Yes, you do. <laughs> Once again, writer Cullen Bunn proves that he saves his best work for Oni. Here, we meet Jess, the daughter of a brilliant scientist who punches a hole in space and time and accidentally pulls through a Tyrannosaurus Rex that instantly imprints on Jess 
and becomes her best buddy. Devil Dinosaur and Moon Boy. Well, I'm getting there. Great kinetic art by Drew Ross. This looks like a fun all-ages read that tugs on my Devil Dinosaur and Moon Boy strings. This was a lot of fun. Giving it a buy. The Zoo Hunters, number one from Aspen. I can't remember the last time I actually read an Aspen book. I was going to say, I thought I was our sole Aspen <laughs> reporter. But I noticed a distinct lack of bikinis, so I decided to check it out. This was like a sci-fi version of Sylvester Stallone's Over the Top. What? Yeah. Beautifully drawn by Peter Steigerwald. But remember how I talked about how Kurt Busiek was able to fill tooth and claw with mythology without bogging it down? Yeah, not so much here. It was pretty, but it was kind of a slog to get through. Skim it. Does this feature arm wrestling? No, but it's like... You gotta go. I mean, come on. The dad's estranged wife dies, and now he's stuck with the kid that he barely knows, oh, and he's okay. gotta learn how to love him and teach him the ropes. And okay, but yeah, it's over the top. It's over the top in space. Without he's even a space trucker. All right. Well, he's a zoo hunter, but still. Superman Unshankled, number nine from DC Comics. I'm not sure how this fits into the New Fifty Two, or even when it was supposed to take place, but writer Scott Snyder does a nice job reminding us why we love Superman, even if it's been a year since the last issue. Jim Lee supplies the absolutely perfect art here, and honestly, it's a damn shame this comic couldn't return the Man of Steel to his rightful place atop sales and prominence in the DCU. With all that said, I have a serious problem with something that happens in the end we're going to talk about more later. We'll be also be talking about late comics in the answer of the week, and this is certainly one of them. It was so pretty looking, I gotta give it a buy it. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> There's some serious problems, but I can't help it. It was really pretty it's to look really at. It's a really shiny turn. <laughs> yeah. Skim it. I'm giving it a skim it. Yeah. Splop! That is your ludicrous speed round, and splop is the sound of a very adult situation ending suddenly, as seen in the pages of this week's issue of The Humans, number one. If you read it, You'll know exactly what yep, I'm talking about. Yeah, With all the talking critter comics hitting the stands this week, it only seemed right for Matt and I to invite some of our favorite talking animals over for cocktails and some discussion of next week's comics. Matt, I'm going to pour the gangrene jujitsu dribbles another vodka tonic. After you and Boris the Bear get done discussing gun control, would you like to tell the kids what you're excited to read next week? That man is a right-wing lunatic. He's an open carry advocate, obviously. <laughs> oh, yeah. Next week, I'm excited for Django Zorro, number one from Dynamite, written by Quentin Tarantino with art by Esteve Poles. It's not just Quentin Tarantino, though, right? I think it's just Quentin Tarantino. He's the only one that gets credit. Okay. Featuring a story by Oscar award-winning writer and director and Django creator, Quentin Tarantino, and award-winning... It's written by Matt Wagner. Oh. It's story by Quentin Tarantino, scripted by Matt Wagner. And award-winning writer slash artist slash creator slash Matt Wagner... The official sequel <laughs> to Django Unchained in the first ever comic book sequel ever done of a Tarantino film. Set several years after the events of Django Unchained, Django slash Zorro, number one, finds Django again pursuing the evil that men do in his role as a bounty hunter. Since there's a warrant on his head back east, he's mainly been plying his trade in the western states. After safely settling his wife, Broomhilda, near Chicago, he's again taken to the road sending her funds whenever he completes a job. It is by sheer chance he encounters the aged and sophisticated Diego de la Vega, the famed Zorro, and soon finds himself fascinated by the unusual character, the first wealthy white man he's ever met who seems totally unconcerned with the color of Django's skin, question mark, and who can hold his own in a fight 
He hires on Jago's bodyguard, quote, for one adventure and is soon drawn into a fight to free the local indigenous people from a brutal servitude, discovering that slavery isn't exclusive to black folks. In is the, this in the solicit? Yeah. In the course of this adventure, he learns much from the older man, much like King Schultz. And on several occasions, even dons the mask and the whip of the fox. What? I don't know. Django's a superhero now? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I'm in. I love it. That solicit was very detailed. Yes, it was. In fact, I don't think we need to read the comic now. We got I'm it. giving it a buy it. <laughs> Joe Patrick, what are you excited for next week? Next week. Next week's a big week. It There's some big, big stuff coming out next week. But the thing I was most excited to read was Deep State number one from Boom Studios, written by Justin Jordan with art by Ariella Christentina. Here's your solicit. You know all those conspiracy theories you hear about, like how the Jonestown Massacre was a failed MK Ultra experiment by the government, or how Lee Harvey Oswald was trained and brainwashed to be an assassin? Well, what if some of these were true? Deep State is a dream, nightmare, come true for conspiracy theory nuts. John Harrow doesn't exist, and his job is to make sure that other things don't exist too. At any given time, the government is running dozens of black book operations, experiments that aren't on any official record and are never acknowledged to exist. Some of these are innocuous. Some of them are monstrous beyond reason. And most of the time they go as expected and the public is never the wiser. Most of the time, John Harrow's job is to handle them when things go wrong and do anything to make sure the government's secrets stay just that secret. That's a hell of a solicit too. So this is like the reverse X files sort of the truth is in there. Yeah, totally. (laughs) But the the truth is in there, not out there. It's in there. Kind of like hoax hunters, too. Uh, You know what? I never actually read where they go and they cover up the hoax on like they make stuff look like a hoax. Oh, they pretend. Yeah. Like an alien ship crashes and they show up and be like, oh, this is all bullshit, even though it's real. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm into it. This was announced a while back. We talked about it on the show. A shady group of agents whose job is to hide secrets, not reveal them. Yeah. Sounds fun to me. Sounds like a TV pitch. Oh, hell yeah. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Mouse Guard, Baldwin the Brave, and Other Tales, hardcover, from Boom Studios slash Archaea. They own them now. Written and illustrated by David Peterson. Whether you're of claw, wing, or scale, fairy tales and fables never cease to warm our hearts and fill our imaginations. Now, four of the stunningly illustrated FCBD fables by Eisner Award-winning creator David Peterson are collected for the first time alongside two brand new Mouse Guard tales in a beautiful hardcover. Every hero is once a child listening to stories of the heroes who came before them. It is the same with the mouse guard. Six mouse fables are spun to a few familiar young furs, reminding us all to be brave and stay true to ourselves. Follow our hearts. Brand new stories include service to Saiyan set in a land where Dragon Ball Z crossover (laughs) service to Super Saiyan set in a land where mouse warriors travel after death and oh day away. A tale of the insect fairies of the mouse world. More mouse guard, always a good thing, and sticks with our talking animal theme. Totally. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't even yeah, think I, about I, that. We're, we're infested. This was not planned. Those free comic book day mouse guard books, on free comic book day, they were Arkea put out hardcovers yeah. for free. Beautiful. And so, yeah, this book is reprinting four of those, but it's got two new stories and it's a hardcover, only 15 bucks. And you can't find them. They sell on eBay for like 15 bucks. There'd, you'd be a jerk not to want this. Yeah. A jerk. Jerks. Closet furries. 
freaky pervert jerks. When you're done clinking glasses with your favorite talking critter, let us know what you're looking forward to reading over at the THN forums. That theme from Revenge of the Nerds means it's time to play the new and improved Ask a Nerd, where we typically reach deep into the THN digital mailbag and pull out a comic question, but today we are getting on the phone with a good buddy of ours who has some deep Superman questions for us. Ladies and gentlemen, this is THN First. We have our good friend Chase Magnet live from Legend Comics and Coffee. He has got a question for Ask a Nerd about the Man of Steel. Chase, take it away, buddy. I just read Superman Unchained number nine this week, wrote a very long review to comicbook.com, and to say the least, I was not pleased. Uh, it wasn't the same rage I felt walking out of Man of Steel, but it was definitely in the same ballpark. Just to give a quick synopsis for listeners who didn't read the series, the few and lucky ones of you, Superman is given an option at the end of it to save the Earth by flying into space and self-destructing, killing tens of thousands of aliens that plan to invade. The decision is not his own, but it's presented to him by Lex Luthor, who tells him it's the only way. Superman doesn't give it a second thought, but immediately accepts it as the only option and flies towards space, ready to kill himself and an entire alien race. Beyond the fact that he's committing genocide, it's deeply troubling because he doesn't even question his own decision. He assumes that what Lex Luthor gives him as the villain is the best possible option and doesn't look for it third way. This is following a trend that DC's been on for a long time, where... Superman is either made into a murderer or a suicidal maniac in order to make him interesting, I suppose. And even in the hands of someone like Scott Snyder, who is easily one of their best writers today, doing incredible work on books like Batman and Witches, it just doesn't work. So my question for you guys is, 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 is the Man of Steel broken at DC? It, are, are these people capable of, of doing anything with this character that doesn't involve him becoming a homicidal maniac? That's a fantastic question. You know, it's odd. My my question is, why are there so many different versions of Superman being published by the same company in the same continuity? That's also a different question. Because <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, in the in recent issues of the Jeff Johns, John Romita Jr. Superman, he went out of his way to try to teach this new superhuman guy that he's met that you don't kill the bad guys. Yeah, I'm not caught up, but... and. So it's the polar. Now, to be fair, I guess not fair, but uh, I, I think it needs to be said that Superman Unchained is very, very late. Yeah. Let's get to the bottom of that real quick here. There's there's a lot of problems with this series, and it starts off with where the hell does this take place? And is this even part of New 52 continuity? Because that's not clear. Now, I think it is clear because at the beginning, it was Lex Luthor uh, fresh from where he had appeared in Scott Lobdell's Superman. Okay. Like, it's definitely in continuity. So this is Superman in the new 52, but it is completely at odds with other interpretations of the, of the character. Yeah. It's a completely different Superman. And I totally agree. The Superman that Jeff Johns is writing right now is a lot more Superman, if you will, right. than the Superman and that I, Scott Snyder is writing. I, I, I want to say that that's not all of Jeff Johns. Cause if we're reading justice league, Superman's been pretty awful. There are parts of that series. Uh, I agree. It starts off in the very first issue where he's just murdering parademons like crazy. Yeah. I mean, I know there's a lot of time jumping involved, and, and so uh, an argument can be made by somebody, not me, but that 
you know, well, he's learned, you know, he's grown into his role as Superman. Right. Which I kind of call bull on because everyone knows who Superman is and I don't need to see him learning how to become Superman ever again. Well, and that was the argument in the movie, too, like where he killed Zod and everyone's like, well, you know, he's just learning to be Superman and becoming like, no, no, I'm sorry. There's so many Most different ways. Most people are able to learn that murder is bad without having murdered somebody. Well, and especially, <laughs> especially Superman, right? He's the best of us. So if anybody should know it, <laughs> like, right? it is I, a disturbing trend, though, where I think Scott Snyder and Jim Lee. Now, obviously, this kind of went off the rails and ended up really, really late. So it's too bad for the series. But this was supposed to be the series that reinvigorates Superman, that like brings him back to the top of the DCU. And yeah, it literally ends with him becoming a suicide bomber, essentially saying, all right, I'm totally hopeless. I'm out of ideas. I'm going to stick myself with this thermo, this solar, you know, shot or whatever that's going to make me go critical and murder an entire race of people. Well, but then the interesting thing is he isn't even thinking for himself. Yeah. Uh, Luther presents this picture where, oh, yeah, Superman just is just taking his best shot, figuring things out, and when things go wrong, he doesn't do it again. He presents the bumbling idiot, and he's not wrong. Luther actually pretty much hits the nail on the head in this depiction. Because he says, hey, Superman, here's this thing you should go do. And Superman's like, okay, I guess I'll do that. Like, Luther certainly wouldn't steer me wrong. <laughs> right. Well, and not just that, though. But look, let's say he does say, all right, I'm going to accept, I'm going to make the ultimate sacrifice. And the, and the philosophy here is, you know, uh, saving the earth by doing this terrible thing or whatever, which we both agree Superman would probably never do. But he goes to do it. He doesn't even do it. It's like they neuter the decision by taking him out of it altogether and just kind of sending him back to earth going, ah, oh, never mind. We didn't need you to do that. Somebody else did it for you. You know, <laughs> like, there's so many problems. Right. Here. I mean, <laughs> you still get demerits for almost becoming a mass murderer. Right. <laughs> Essentially a suicide bomber. This goes to my problem with people that argue, uh, especially with Man of Steel, the movie, where they were like, he had no choice. He had no choice. That family was going to die. He had to save him. He couldn't stop Zod. The reason, even if I grant you the premise that in the confines of the Man of Steel movie, he had no choice. The only reason he had no choice is because the writers put him in that position. Right. That speaks to a, such a fundamental lack of understanding of Superman. I think this is the core of the problem. That I can't trust these people with these characters. I don't, I'm not interested in trusting these people with these characters. Yeah, and I think that is really yeah. the core of the issue here is why do we the, keep ending the, up here? There's the problem of uh, when I hear things like, oh, Superman didn't have a choice or it was the only way. There's an assumption that this story is reality and we're trying to put our same objective opinion on that we may put on history and say, well, we had to drop the nuclear bomber or make those sorts of excuses. The problem is that stories are messages. They're fictional ideas. And to say that there was no choice is to say that the writer had no control of the story. When in fact, the writer has absolute control of the story. They I can make whatever occur that they want to occur. I completely agree. Yeah. Not to mention... Snyder chose to make Superman go out and be prepared to kill tens of thousands of people. Uh, the other Snyder chose to make Superman snap someone's neck and send all of these other people into basically a phantom zone that looks like hell. Uh, these aren't things that Superman was forced to do. These are things that the writers chose for him to do. Yeah, and like this forced morality play, almost, where it's like, remember Superman, who will always find a way to save everybody and will always go out of his way to do the best thing? Well... He's not really doing that so much anymore. <laughs> you know? well, and you, know, you hit the nail on the head 
in your review, Chase, in that it's made twice as troubling when you look at the flashback story in which young Clark Kent goes out of his way to save the life of a murderer yeah. or an uh, attempted murderer instead of letting him die. We see Superman genuinely upset about a man dying who is trying to kill his mom. I mean, yeah. This is somebody that at the age of, what, 10? Like, that is the worst person in the world. And he won't accept that this person is dead. He does everything in his power to bring him back to life. That's an incredible moment. I mean, that's, that's optimism just summed up in beautiful, nobody has to die, that there's always another way that we can make things work. There's so much positivity in that moment, and then it's just thrown away in the rest of the story. It's like they're two different characters. It's presented as two different moments in the life of the same person, but it reads like two fundamentally different characters. Now, let me, let me pose this question. Is this the action of a few writers. I love that they're both named Snyder, by the way. Snyder and Snyder. <laughs> like, is this the action of a few writers or is this symptomatic of the New 52 as a whole? Because we just had another series, Adventures of Superman, which it was a web first. It was digital first, pardon me. And it was wonderful. It was absolutely the old Superman that we love. It was fun to read. It had a great message. It was lighthearted. It was heroic. And it shows that DC can still do this. So is this symptomatic of the new 52? Is this Superman as we know him now and you've got to deal with it? Or can they fix it? Characters go through changes all the time. And at DC, it's like once every five to ten years. So to say that it's permanently broken, of course it is not. But how long is it going to be the status quo? And who out there is really into it, right? right? I'd, I'd like to speak to the people that go, yeah, this is my Superman. Yeah, I want to see him eat somebody, you know, like, <laughs> you know, it just, and at the same time, and I don't mean to keep heaping questions on questions, but I think it's interesting. How come Batman isn't murdering people? How come we don't see Batman in the pages of Batman with a machete cutting people down like, or what? like, you know, shooting the Joker in the face or something? Why is this Superman the best Right. The best of the best, the biggest of the good guys. How come he's having all the issues? The Flash isn't running I, around murdering people. Well, sort of, I but that's a different Flash. I think there's been a sort of really bad question that people keep asking and perpetuating that, that portrays a fund, fundamental misunderstanding of the character. Where how can this guy with infinite power be interesting? How can he be human? And it misses the point that he, Superman's an inspiration. Um, yeah. I'm going to say something that probably goes pretty far from some people, but I would say that he's the single most positive figure in all of like Western canon. As far as moral figures go, he's right up there with Jesus Christ and the Buddha. And Charlie he's Brown. He's the person that always finds uh, absolutely. Um, he's the guy who always finds a third way right. and presents us with the best that we can be. People don't say Jesus is a boring hero. People don't say that his stories are lame because he can do anything or he always finds a way to do the right thing. Uh, stories that inspire us, and that's what Superman at his best does. Trying to make him human or shut him in the dirt doesn't make him interesting. It just ruins the basic concept. Where the, where the humanization of Superman should end is when you get the idea that he is the best of us because of the lessons he learned from us. Right. And that's it. I don't need him to then go forth and be flawed and tragic. Yeah, or pissed off or suicidal or, you know, <laughs> murderous. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, I think the, the example that really nails it better than anything in the entire history of the character is, is also Superman by Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly, because that's the book that doesn't show he's a guy towering above us, that he's not great because he's greater than us. He's great because of us. Right. And that 
he's there as an inspiration and that everything he does, he does because of us and that he isn't trying to save us, but we're seeing him just much that he's part of humanity and provides that light that everyone is capable of. Every time I read that book, I want to be a better person because of Superman. I also think that shows Grant Morrison has a much better understanding of this character than Scott Snyder. Than most people. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a weird place to be in emotionally for me when the most exciting thing that I have to look forward to from DC is a what-if event being pioneered by Scott Lobdell and Dan Jerkins. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Chase, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was of not fun, but I think cathartic. Yeah. I don't think we necessarily <laughs> answered the question, but we definitely exposed like, uh, yeah, some serious yeah, problems. I, I felt my feelings. I got some <laughs> things off my chest, and I, we're, we're glad that you were here to help us out with that. Hey, well, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, check out Chase's writing. Uh, he writes for comicbook.com, sometimes for Comics Bulletin, too, right? Yep. And then you have a an ebook that you co-wrote with Jason Sachs, Keith Silva, and some other guys about Day Tripper. Yep, Day Tripper, Life Examined. And then uh, also, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to you in the show sometime about Con next summer. I'm actually here at the shop planning that out today and looking at Comics Town we're inviting. We are super excited. Yeah, Comic-Con in Omaha yeah. is an awesome idea. At I can't about wait. damn time. We've got like 10 shops in this town. Come on. <laughs> There's some good people working their asses off to bring uh, some great comic talent in. So I'm, I'm hoping we can get excited about it here first. Yes. Awesome. You heard it here first. All right. Comic-Con Omaha. There it is. We just broke the story wide open. I don't think it was a secret, but suck on that internet. <laughs> Chase, thank it's you. For... Facebook, you'll like it. <laughs> Chase, oh. thanks for joining us again, man. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you guys. That was totally awesome, right? It was totally awesome. This is exactly where we want Ask a Nerd to go. It's we want it to be a little more discussive with you guys, where you hit us and we bounce a question off each other. We're not always gonna answer it. Sometimes we just need to discuss things to wrap our heads around it. Right, absolutely. And you know the trivia questions are fun and you know what's your favorite this those are th those are fun times but we're gonna evolve ask a nerd into a, a kind of a different animal so let's get heady let's get weird man if you want to contribute if you want to be on the show hit us up twitternerd at gmail.com or the ask a nerd section of the forums and just like chase magnet we can call you you can be on the show you can send us an mp3 Either way, but we want to get into it, man. Let's dig into the meat of the matter. Sort of break it, break it down like this. That is it for episode 185 of THN. If you love a good old-fashioned alien genocide as much as we do, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. But we still need your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your hearts, because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Thank you to our latest sustaining donor, Michael Lee. Thank you, Mike. And if you want to keep us in kibble and fresh veggies for all our talking animal buddies, you can do so by clicking our anthropomorphic PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com. Count how many times we've said anthropomorphic yeah, in this many. episode. Too many. It's the new THN drinking game. <laughs> and if you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box. And as little as a buck a month really does help. And if you're interested in sponsoring this flea-ridden podcast, shoot us an email with the subject line, sponsorship. Good. We're going to have to bomb the entire ziggurat after this. While you're there, you can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, and the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. 
using this fuzzy and cute list of resources, you can beg the comic pushers for a new read. You can hit us with your Ask a Nerd question or trivia, or defend your questionable nerd taste in front of the two-headed judge for our Defenders segment, which we need to do another one of those. Those are fun. Or you can ask us to review your self-published comic, printed, digital, cut out of animal furs, shaved into the side of a cow, (laughs) shaved in the side of a cow or cat, whatever. And don't forget to sign up for the THN Forum. This is your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show, post videos of you shaving your favorite animal, or just rap about comics. Remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page and watch the forums if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. And then be sure to tune in to hear your answers on the Answer of the Week podcast. But if you need more THN in your life right now, get over to twitternerd.com and check out all of our fabulous content from the likes of Aaron Myers, Tony Mathers, and coming soon, Andy McBride. Hey! I just need to vet that Oh, yeah. Oh, and we got a new guy, Charlie. Charlie Tron. What's Charlie Tron doing? I don't know. We're working it out. I love it. I love it. New love slaves, bro. Next week, the comic pushers will be making new addicts out of one lucky listener when they suggest some new highly addictive funny books before we go. Our weekly shout out goes to Marvel Associate Editor Ellie Pyle, who's joining Shelly Bond's team at Vertigo as a full editor when they move out west. Word to you, Ellie. Every time they say they're moving to Burbank, I picture them moving into the Prices Rights too. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics because your retailer is guaranteed to kiss you on the mouth for it. Kiss is not guaranteed. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Don't listen to that guy.